Um, we are, as, as you can tell, we're in the midst of a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And so what we're doing is we're, we're really getting to know the Holy Spirit and letting the Word of God tell us who He is um, for a lot of big reasons. But so far what we've done is we've had kind of an intro. Uh, then we've looked at the, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and discovered there together that the Holy Spirit is very active in the the Old Testament, just moving and doing all kind of amazing things. Uh, and, and then, of course, the Holy Spirit in Jesus. Jesus' ministry was filled with the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to look at the first church. So what I want to point out, though, is that, that there has been a pattern that's emerged. Um, don't miss the pattern. And the pattern holds all throughout Scripture. Um, and we see it in the Old Testament, the Gospels, and, of course, now with the, the, new church, the first church today. And it, it is that people have this tendency of getting into a whole lot of trouble. Uh, sin, the, living in a sinful world, we get into a lot of trouble, and God sends the Holy Spirit, God comes by His Spirit, uh, to, to change that. So in the Old Testament, you know, we've seen that. We went through the, the 12 minor prophets. You can look all over the place. And it is like scandalous, the kind of stuff that people do. I mean, we're talking, talking deep, dark, all kind of sin. So they get themselves in this, this horrible situation and then God in the Old Testament would come upon a chosen individual, and that chosen individual would embark on a rescue mission for God. And so the, the individual would bring messages of correction, um, life with God, hope for the future, and all of it was an attempt, again, to draw people back into life with God, uh, into his saving love and so we see that, and then uh, at the, the end of the Old Testament, we have the same pattern emerge. Uh, people are in trouble again. You know, again, their own sin, the, the people are just kind of stranded spiritually, and so the Holy Spirit comes upon this time Jesus at his baptism, and Jesus does the same thing we see with, with the prophets and some of the judges. Jesus embarks on a three-year rescue mission for God. He comes in the power of God, and he delivers Beautiful messages of God's grace and love and forgiveness and life. Jesus performs miracles to display the glory of God. But again, all of it is for a reason, and it is to draw people into life with God, to draw people into salvation. So here we are now at the end of the Gospels, and um, it is looking pretty bleak again. Uh, why? Well, because Jesus has died He's been resurrected, and he's soon going to go back to heaven. Um, but before he leaves, and toward the end of the Gospels, he's been speaking a message to the disciples. And the message is, it's going to be your turn soon. I'm going to pass the baton on to you, and you're going to do what I've been doing. Okay? So, so they're up next, and... They, they just, uh, and by the way, he even encourages them more than that by saying, here's what you're going to do. Jesus says, I myself, the Son of God, I am sending you. Uh, Jesus tells them, for example, in John 14, you guys are going to go out and you're going to do even greater things than I've done because I go to the Father. So all of this is in the disciples' favor, right? I mean, you are, you are the, the starters, right? The spiritual starters. You're going to be in the game. You've got all of this going for you, but the disciples have one little problem. Okay, And their one little problem is they aren't Jesus. Big problem, okay? On the disciples' best day, they cannot do what Jesus has been doing. Um, look at these guys in the Gospels, okay? Uh, the, the disciples 
are more like the three stooges throughout the Gospels. They're more like the three stooges than they are spiritual leaders. So these guys have a problem. Oh, and by the way, they can't even get along with each other most of the time. And now together, they are going to go and do the work and the ministry of Jesus? There's just no way. I mean, I'm sorry. You know, let's go to New York here. Forget about it. It's not going to happen. Um, they are stuck. They cannot do what Jesus has been doing. Not these guys. Now, I want to pause and have an aside at this moment. Okay, a little side note. May God give us the grace to see that we are a whole lot like the disciples um, in our lives when it comes to ministry. We, may we know the same thing about ourselves. And listen, especially when you look back at the recent history of the church, I pray that we see the same thing. That after years and years and years, and, and I'm being respectful here, I love the church, okay? I, I work in the church, I love the church, but I wanna say a couple things about the church's ministry overall in the United States. It has been like, from my perspective, and I think from the perspective of many, for like the past 40 or 50 years, we have been on a gerbil wheel of internal programming in the church of Jesus Christ. Um, we, at, we have had decades, okay, decades of chasing after every single strategy that comes along the way for church growth. I mean, man, somebody puts one of these on the shelves, we jump on it, and half the churches in America, it's like, now we're gonna be this kind of church. Now we're gonna be that kind of church. I mean, it is a broken cycle in the church. We in the church as well, and we've acknowledged this, and I'm thankful that we've done this at Cornerstone. You know, we've been a part of that great American ethos of obsessing over all the wrong measures and metrics. The definition of success in most churches, it all boils down to one, one word. You probably know what the word is. The word is numbers. If the numbers are there, and you know what the numbers are. You know, it's money, it's people, it's events. If the numbers are there, we feel really good about ourselves. But now here we are at the end of, and I'm gonna go ahead and call it the end of it, I pray, the end, end of, a, of a pandemic, right? What are we seeing, if we're honest? We are seeing millions of people walk away from the church. And I do believe that one of the greatest things that COVID will ever do for the church is it's as if it has kicked us off our feet and suddenly we're getting up and we're going, wait a minute, we've been doing a whole lot of stuff in the church. Is what we're doing what God's called us to do? So hopefully we can see, as the church in general in the United States, we are kind of like the disciples after the resurrection of Christ before he goes up to heaven. We're a bit stuck. And I think now hopefully we have learned we cannot do this on our own. We are like the disciples at the end of the Gospels. For the church of Jesus Christ, something has to give. Something has got to change. And here's the good news. Jesus never left us to figure that out. You know, it's not like after his resurrection he goes, well, it's your turn. Uh, I hope you put the clues together. You know, I hope you figure out the formula. I hope that somehow you guys piece it together. Jesus was very clear about who we are to be, what we're to be about, and how we are to do it. He never left it a mystery. And even uh, equally good news is that the something he gave us and talked about so much, especially toward the end, the something only has two parts to it. And we'll get to those two parts after I pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you 
for what you are doing in this world. Lord, thank you that we are like believers in times past. Those faithful ones in the Old Testament, the, the, those hungry first followers of Jesus Christ, we are much like the new church or, or the first church in that, um, Father God, we, we don't always get it right. But you have come to show us the way. You have been so good and so clear. And so I pray today that you would grant me uh, clarity, that you would just, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be so pleasing to you and that your words would fall on our hearts and our minds and our lives. And Lord, I do not want to be guilty today also of preaching about the Holy Spirit and not inviting the Spirit of God to anoint me afresh and anew today. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, first things first. There are two parts to this something Jesus gave us. So um, let's start with the first part, which is the work of Jesus. What is it that the first church was supposed to be doing? And what were they supposed to be about? And in asking that, we're asking the same question to ourselves. What are we supposed to be about? Well, Jesus lays it out very clearly in the Gospels. Most of you know exactly what I'm going to say. Uh, he does this in a number of places, but particularly in Mark 16, uh, verse 15, and Matthew, yes, 28, 19 to 20, Jesus makes it clear what the church is supposed to be about, this first church. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. There it is. For the first church, the work was the Great Commission, plus nothing else. It was the Great Commission. They were to proclaim Jesus Christ to one another and to the lost and to grow people up in Jesus Christ. So, get this. For the first church, the Great Commission was not a good idea. It wasn't a fine suggestion. It wasn't an option for church programming. It wasn't something to return to when church attendance started running low. It wasn't a temporary strategy to grow the first church into an institution. That's not what the Great Commission was. The Great Commission was the whole shebang. It was God's plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. It was it. This was what the first church was about. And so, so you know what comes next, right? It's that the Great Commission was not just given for them. What Jesus is doing here in the Gospels is he is laying out the life of the church. He is laying out what we will be about as long as there is a church on this earth. And so for churches, what we need to do is we, we should rejoice that we've sent missionaries. We should rejoice that we have a mission team, that every now and then, you know, we take a short-term mission, but we have to learn that we, we are more than that. We, the church of Jesus Christ, we are God's mission. We, we, we are his mission team. We're his mission organization. We are God's missionaries. It's not just them that go across the, the, the ocean or across the country to serve under a mission organization formally. We are God's missionaries. And by the way, let's throw a twist in there. Paul says to us in Philippians 3.20 that we are citizens of heaven, right? 
So you know what that makes us? That makes us foreign missionaries. That makes Greeley, Greeley is our foreign mission field, right? Because we belong to heaven. And so what that does, just that understanding alone, is that changes the crisis of the day for the church. Do you know what our current crisis is? It, it, it is not that people have left church. The crisis in the American church is that the Great Commission has become the great omission. omission. Tom Rainer uh, said that recently, and I thought it was, just, it was just so on target. It's that when you look at the church across America, we're a whole lot like Martha, you know? We are busy doing a whole lot of stuff, and some of the stuff we're doing is really good stuff, but if we get honest with one another, reaching the loss for Jesus Christ is really not on the list of, of most churches. And I'll just say this, I'll step way out on a limb today and say, that is going to have to change for any church to have a future. I really believe that. For the church to have a future, the Great Commission is going to have to really become front and center. I believe we even need to organize the church around the Great Commission. So again, okay, the work, okay, the work of the church then and now is the Great Commission. We got to be clear on that. And Getting clear on that is a big start, right? But there is a second part to this. And the second part, the second part of the something Jesus had for us, um, it, it's pretty important. Um, in fact, it is vital to the Great Commission. Without the second part, in other words, you're not going to accomplish the Great Commission. You, even if you run 50 evangelism classes, you just won't do it. So let's join the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, and let's see what this something else is, okay? And you already know where it's going because you saw the slide of the title, but, uh, of the sermon, so here we go. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, we hear that and we go, okay, I got it. I, I see exactly what Jesus is talking about. The disciples, Jesus speaks those words and it just goes whoosh right over their heads, okay? Uh, in, in fact, they look back to Jesus and they go, oh, okay, Jesus, we know what you're saying. You're saying that now is the time that you're going to restore Israel's kingdom. And for the life of me, I studied this in the Greek this week, I can't begin to understand how they got there from what Jesus said. In a few days from now, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is the gift from the Father. Oh, you're going to restore key. I just, I don't see it. I don't get it. But nevertheless, Jesus now gets crystal clear with the guys. He tells them in plainest language what they are waiting for, what is going to happen to them, and why it's going to happen to them. And here it is. You heard it once earlier. Hear it again, Acts 1.8. You will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So look at what Jesus has just said. He said, look, you've got this great commission. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and now you'll be able to step into it. Now you'll be able to be about it. You will go forth as a credible witness. Jesus is saying, look, the same Holy Spirit that came upon those prophets, those judges in the Old Testament, and everything changed. The same Holy Spirit that came upon Jesus at his baptism, that same Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And now the Great Commission will move from being mission impossible. Because again, these guys are not going to get it done. Now it becomes mission possible. 
It really does. And that is precisely what happens in the next chapter of Acts. Uh, Chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes upon the disciples and those first followers of Jesus, right, comes upon them in a very dramatic fashion, and what happens? Peter and the disciples get up, and they step right into the Great Commission. They, they, They step right into it. Peter preaches a sermon to the crowds, as giant crowds in Jerusalem. And if you read the sermon, it, technically it's a perfect sermon. I mean, he lays out what God has done, the Old Testament, you know, the, just, just really builds redemptive uh, history. Then he talks about Jesus. But w- when you also read it, you know, b- besides it being technically correct, it's not the flashiest sermon I've ever heard. You know, it's, it's not full of, you know, great illustrations and, you know, hey, check out the slide up there. Peter has not been to seminary at this point. Um, Peter is not a toastmaster. Peter is the same ordinary guy. The Spirit of God gets on him. He preaches to the crowds. And what happens is phenomenal. You get to verse 37, the crowds who heard this, it says they were deeply moved deeply moved. They were cut to the heart by what they heard. And together, as a crowd, you know, they asked Peter, what do we do? This is an incredible message. What do we do? What's the next step? How do we step in to, to, to what you've just, just proved? Tell us about this salvation. Peter goes on in Acts 2, 38 and 39, and he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And if you heard that and you go, hey, that sounds like the verses from Joel chapter 2 a couple weeks ago. It is. But listen to what Peter has just said. He said, look, the Holy Spirit is for everyone who becomes a child of God. And it's for women, for children, for all of us, not just a chosen few or not just for Jesus, the anointed chosen one. The Holy Spirit is for all of you now. And the response, 3,000 people are saved right there. So you wonder, where did Billy Graham get his motto? It's right here. I mean, Billy Graham does the same thing. I don't know if you've heard Billy preach. He's a fine preacher, but the results of his preaching are incredible. Why? He's a man with the Spirit of God upon him preaching the gospel, living out the Great Commission, and it's the same type of thing here. But again, it just proves the point that the Holy Spirit is given to the church for witness for the Great Commission. So you put all that together, it's really simple. The Spirit of God ignites the entire church and empowers us to fulfill the great commission on this earth. We in the church, we are to be a biblically-based, Christ-focused, Spirit-empowered, and Spirit-led community making Jesus known. That is the purpose of the Holy Spirit being given to the church. And we talked about biblical balance a couple of weeks ago. You know, we want to be balanced with the Holy Spirit. And there seem to be these two extremes, right, in the church when it comes to the Holy Spirit. The one is the stay back, right? Well, good luck fulfilling the Great Commission if you're trying to keep the Holy Spirit at arm's length. That's not something you want to do. But on the other hand, you know, there's this other side that's like, well, the Holy Spirit is given just so we feel joy and we're energized in worship. And there's lots of energy in the church. And listen, that's good. That's all well and good, but the purpose of the Holy Spirit being given is so that we will be witnesses, so that we'll make a difference for Jesus Christ 
out there. We all need the Holy Spirit to fulfill the Great Commission. It's pretty good news, isn't it? Yes. Yes is the answer. Yes is the answer. It's really good news. And see, listen, without, without a healthy relationship, with us not being in a healthy relationship with the Holy Spirit and being filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit, what ends up happening to us is we end up not just being stuck but staying stuck. What we end up with when we don't have a good, healthy theology and relationship with the Spirit of God is we end up doing a lot of programming, we end up holding a lot of classes, we have a lot of services, and we we have a lot of events, but what we don't see in the church, we don't see much salvation. We don't see a lot of people getting saved, and the ones that, that, that are a part of the church, we don't see a lot of life transformation. A lot of times they end up looking the same five years later than, the, than, than they did when they first walk in the door. And that's why I said before, and I'll say it again, I believe only a biblically-based, Christ-focused, Spirit-empowered and Spirit-led church is going to make any difference for God out there. I really believe that. So what I want to do, oh, and I want to encourage you in one thing, too. When it comes to the lost, let's get really clear on the lost. Jesus says something very encouraging to us about people who are lost in our world. Um, What he says is in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, and he tells us that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that workers will be sent out. Notice what Jesus doesn't pray there. Jesus doesn't say, all right, guys, get together. We have got to pray that there will be a harvest. He says there is a harvest. So the issue is workers going out into that harvest. And the Holy Spirit was given for these workers as we go out there into the world. I want to end by doing two things today. I want to to ask you two questions, all right? So these are personal questions to you. Um, They're rhetorical. You can answer them if you want out loud. You don't have to. But I have two questions. One is a great commission question, and the the other question is a Holy Spirit question, okay? So we're going to take those in order and do the Holy Spirit question first. See what I did? I flipped it, yeah. So the Holy Spirit question is this. Do you, and you know your own heart and your own life and your own mind, you know your, your church history, you know where you've been, where you've come from, do you have any hang-ups, um, any fear, any resistance when it comes to the Holy Spirit? Do you? Think about that. Um, I will tell you this, there, there tend to be three reasons why people have a problem with the Holy Spirit, why Christians have a problem with the Holy Spirit. Um, three reasons, and, and this might help you. Uh, the first one is what, what I grew up with for the first 12 years of my life, and it was no teaching on the Holy Spirit. Um, in the church I was in as a little kid, uh, the Holy Spirit's name would come up in the Apostles' Creed. Um, his name would come up in a benediction every now and then. Our pastor stayed as far away from any teaching as he possibly could on the Holy Spirit. Um, years later, I found out why. It was because he was afraid. He was like, man, if I talk about this stuff, you know, some of the action and acts, I don't know. If I talk about it, uh, my job is going to be on the line. So he avoided it altogether. I got no teaching on the Spirit of God. I, I, I really wondered, what, what, what's going on here? Um, the second one is what Jane grew up with. Um, and hopefully no one's watching from her church. Uh, no, uh, but what Jane grew up with was bad teaching on the Holy Spirit. She was taught that the, the Holy Spirit, absolutely not. That started, that got the ball rolling with the church. That was, that was for then, not now. Anybody who embraces this, oh, you know. So she just got bad teaching that the Holy Spirit was to be avoided at all costs. And then the, the third, and of course you probably knew I was going to go here. The third one is bad examples 
of people walking in the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, where, where the, 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 the goal of the church has nothing to do with evangelism, nothing to do with reaching people. It's just a party every week, you know? And, and you can run into that. I mean, I've seen some things done in some churches. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even know how people are doing this biblically. But see, here's the thing. We can't pass off we can't pass all that off on other people and say, well, we're just going to back up as well. We want a healthy relationship with the Spirit of God. Man, we want the sweetness of God's Spirit in our worship, in our programming, in our relationships. We want to get out there in Greeley and be lit up with the love of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, in, in evangelism, have you ever tried to do evangelism without the Holy Spirit? Woo, good luck doing that, man. I, I want to be led in conversation with people. You know, I, I want to have that timely word being led by the Holy Spirit. Well, let me pray for you right now. Yes, I'd love for you to do that. I was talking to somebody one time. We were having a conversation. I had been praying for them for a couple of years, and I just said something off the cuff. I didn't even realize it, and he said, oh, my gosh, I was thinking that very thing today, and it ended up leading them to a saving moment. It's the Holy Spirit working. I was, I was barely aware of it, but the Spirit of God at work through us to reach people. So... Do you have any hang-ups when it comes to the Spirit of God? Because we need Him when it comes to the Great Commission and being a living church. Do you have hang-ups? I'm going to pray about that in just a minute for us, okay? The second question is this. It's a Great Commission question. Question to the whole church, leadership, question to every individual. Are we about the Great Commission? And listen, I'm, in, I'm as American as you. Okay, I pay a mortgage. I know I gotta be about my job. I know I need to be good at my job. I love to do this or that. Jane and I save for this or that thing. We have all these goals in our lives, but the bottom line is, is the Great Commission a focus, a priority? Is Star Trek fans, is the Great Commission a prime directive for us as believers? You know, do, do, do we understand that God has strategically placed every single one of us around lost people. There are lost people in our lives. We're there for a reason, you know? We're there to pray for them, to serve them, to love them, to look for that opening to proclaim Jesus Christ to them. We're in their lives for a reason. So the Great Commission, are we about it? Let me pray for us. Father God, um, just as it relates to your Holy Spirit, Father, I, I just, I pray and I ask you to forgive us. If this is us today, forgive us for, for every lie we have believed about your Holy Spirit. That maybe that was the stuff of yesterday or maybe that's the stuff of people that are way out there or um, just maybe the Holy Spirit is not for the church anymore. Forgive us of any lie that's in the way, anything that has created an obstacle as we forgive those who, for whatever reason, led us down a wrong path, whether it was a pastor who, who ignored the evidence of Scripture and, and pushed the church away from the ministry of your Spirit, or whether it's those that have gone to such extreme excesses that they're just as far off biblically, Lord, we forgive them in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, we ask you, we ask you to fill us. We ask you to equip us to anoint us as a church, to, to lead us as a church. Help us to love people to you, which is what the Great Commission is all about. Father, we want to be those workers who said yes to going out into that harvest. And Holy Spirit, we need you to do that. 
And so we recognize today that you are God and you are our gift. And today we just say, Lord God, would you make yourself known to us? Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And Father, in regards to the Great Commission, I thank you that we, we have been engaged as the church of Jesus Christ all over this country in missions. But Lord, the, the truth of it is, is that somewhere along the line for many of us, um, missionaries, what we've been doing is we've been sending other people in our place. So Father, we wanna be those who send people across the world as we are faithful right here in, in this part of the world you've put us in. Father God, help us not to be like Martha and to be about everything else but the one thing that's necessary. Father, we thank you for the gift also, not, of the Holy, not only of the Holy Spirit, but of the Great Commission. Lord, I look forward to days together with these brothers and sisters, realigning ourselves to your purposes, seeing people that are out there in here, but not just in the church building, but brothers and sisters in Christ. Holy Spirit, come and make that a reality for us. We pray today in Jesus' name, amen.